Welcome to another episode of the Commission Podcast and to our Revive Seminars. In this episode, we'll hear from Catherine Brooks and Pete Snow on remaining in the city. Catherine is from St. John's, Chelsea, and the author of The Mum in Zone One blog. Pete Snow is the pastor at St. Paul's Herringay. We are blessed to live in one of the most exciting, diverse, cosmopolitan cities in the world. But it also does have its fair share of challenges. Pete and Catherine talk through what it looks like to remain in the city, despite those challenges, to be a part of God's plan to reach the lost of our city. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for coming. Um, This is the Remaining in the City seminar. Hopefully, that's what you were expecting. Um, My name's Catherine Brooks. Lots of people call me Kat. I'm married to Mike, um, and we are at St. John's Chelsea, which is on a council estate um, in Chelsea. There are seven tower blocks. I've taken a picture. It's on the slide. Uh, We um, rent a flat on the roof of the church, um, my husband is an engineer, and I, uh, we have four children, so I'm a mum, and part-time I work in a secondary school. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and uh, hello, everybody. My name is Pete Snow. I am the pastor of St. Paul's Haringey. Um, there's a little everyday shot of Haringey there. And um, I'm the father of four. I grew up in a village in Oxfordshire, and a piece of my heart longs for the village uh, and the rural life. But I married uh, a... A Londoner, a beautiful Londoner called Sarah, and um, I'm, I'm here, I think, to stay. So uh, I'm, I'm remaining in the city, and that's the way the Lord would have it, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, so just to say, I'm obviously not from London. I'm from the northeast of England, and my husband grew up just outside of Bristol. We're both from small towns, so we kind of moved to Chelsea thinking we'll stay for a couple of years. That was in 2008, um, so we haven't left yet. And there's, if you could just move the slide on. There's, this was just a little photo from last week that I thought might be relevant today, which was um, as I was coming home from work, about to go and get the kids from school, arrived at the steps, which are the steps up to our church and to my flat, our flat, and um, there were two men, very drunk, fast asleep, just lying on the steps. And um, in the photo, I don't know if you can see, but there's a boy walking past them because he was going up to the after-school club um, in the church. So all the kids who'd come into the after-school club had had to sort of step over these men. And that, those are the moments where I feel like, really? Like, <laughs> it's just, this isn't great. Because now I have to go and get my kids, and how am I going to get my kids in the house without them seeing the men? And um, So yeah, that's the kind of, that's just a bit of reality. Um, yeah, so it's... It's a different kind of Chelsea to how people might picture Chelsea. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I'm going to pray for us. Um, let me pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can get together today. Um, and we, we pray for your encouragement and we pray for your spirit to encourage our hearts and to um, show us how we can seek first your kingdom. Um, and I really pray that people would leave here feeling a greater sense of contentment and feeling um, joy in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Kat. Okay, can we just do a bit of imagining together? Because what I'd love you to do is imagine London in the year 2050. Okay, 18 years from now. Have I got the maths right? 28 years from now. Good to start. Good to test you. And... um, 
the kids who are, uh, have been babes in arms today, you know, they, are, they are grown up and they're, they're, God willing, they're here at Revive as adults. And um, let's imagine that in the year 2050, you get a chance to drive your car around London on a Sunday morning. Uh, I imagine it's an electric car that's driverless. So you've just got loads of time to look out the window and absorb the view. And what you see as you drive down your neighborhood in the year 2050, the high street, is that it's unnaturally quiet on a Sunday morning. You notice that some of the shops are shut. And you see people walking up the high street in little groups. And you notice that some of them are carrying Bibles. And you drive on a little bit further, and you notice that they're going, actually. They're, they're converging on a local church. It's this little building, which is not that impressive in some ways, but you think, these people are going to church, and it's the year 2050. You drive on to the next neighborhood and the next high street, and you see the same thing. Some of the shops are shut. People are walking up. They're going to church. In fact, outside one of the local churches you drive past, you see an old colleague of yours, and you think, hey, what are they doing in the churchyard? If they become a Christian, and they're chatting very amiably to somebody else, and um, because we're time traveling and you, you can do this, um, you drive all the way around the suburbs of London that Sunday morning, and you see the same scene. You see little pockets of Christian life. You see churches all over the different postcodes of London, and you think, praise God. Right, you may think to yourself, your cynical self may think that could never happen. That would not happen in our city. And I say to you, how do you know? And I do think it would only happen, humanly speaking, if some of the Christians remain in London. If all of us just move out and we pursue our own dreams of moving wherever we want to go, that, that just will not happen. That dream gets shut down. But it, it, I think we could play our part in it happening if some of the Christians remain in the city. I'm excited about that possibility. Okay, so if we could just have a chat, if you could have a chat with the person next to you for like two or three minutes. Um, the question we want to ask you is, what's the best thing you think about living where you live? And what's the hardest thing? So what's the best thing about living in the city? And what's the hardest thing? Okay, three minutes, off you go. Would anyone like to share something that they find hard, um, what should we start with? Yeah, let's start with find hard. So, something people find hard about living in London. Expensive, yes, yeah. It's busy, yeah. It's lots of traffic, lots of people, yeah. Lack of space, yeah. Okay, um, what about our favorite things about living in London? Lots of parks, parks yeah. yes, the parks, brilliant. Diversity, yeah. Diversity is my top one, I think, yeah. One more, there must be one more good thing. The food, sorry. The food in London, yeah. Which I guess, is that to do with the culture maybe? And the, yeah, um, brilliant. We've, um, we wrote a list beforehand, but I'm gonna step down because I can't see it. Um, yeah, so diversity. The best things, this is just my list that I came up with. Diversity, so culture, theatre, museums, fun, parks, um, the vibrant and energetic churches, good schools in some parts of London, um, the job opportunities, obviously that's a reason lots of people move here, um, the convenience, friends that I've got who moved out of London feel very sad when they run out of milk, um, <laughs> and the transport links to get other places. Um, brilliant. Okay. Um, so if we could have the next list. Um, right. So 
the hard things, I guess you probably all said things like this. So the prices, the lack of space, the difficulty getting around, the traffic, cost of living, the commuting, um, your family can't always easily visit, like, for example, if there's nowhere to park, um, or they're just far away. You might be far from your home, uh, what you feel is your home and your family, and people keep leaving. <laughs> um, okay, we've got a map here, which I guess you might not be able to see very well, but this is a map of where people move out to, who move out of London. So this... I'll just move back up here. This um, might vary depending on where in London your church is. But um, maybe if you're in North London, people might move up to Hertfordshire or further north, maybe to Yorkshire. If you're east, people might move to Essex or East Anglia. In the south or west, it might be Surrey, Kent, Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire. Some people move further west, like Devon and Cornwall. Um, and obviously all kinds of other places. If we could just have the next slide. There's a graph here of the net movement of people by age group. So, um, yeah, so we can see that people in their 20s, there's a net movement of people into London. So more people move in than out. But in every other age group, people move out. The net movement is out of London. Okay, so should we join them? Um, or should we try and stay even beyond our 30s? Um, so over to Pete, who is going to tell us something of what God says about this. Thank you. <clears throat> I, I would venture to say that you probably have a natural inclination either towards city life or away from it. I draw on my experience. Um, I'm a country boy by upbringing and therefore I'm kind of drawn back to that. But I think my wife, born and brought up in London, would rather stay in London. And I'm going to wager that some of you are wired that way too. But we must ask ourselves with any decision, not just what's my gut feeling and what's my upbringing, but what does the Bible say? So in this case, we find that the Bible neither condemns nor commands living in the city but it teaches us to expect attention on this earth. So I just want to encourage you to see this in the scriptures. There will always be attention. As long as you live urban, there will be a tension where you think, this is great, but also this is horrible. And that is a biblical thing as far as I can tell. I'm going to try and prove that to you in about six minutes. Uh, there are four great acts in the Bible story, which are creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And um, you can plot the whole Bible story with those four things, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. They're there on your handout or on the screen. So I'm going to try and fly you through the whole Bible story, pointing out the cities uh, as if we're on a helicopter ride together. Okay? Let's go. Strap yourself in. Uh, firstly, creation. That's the first thing that happens in the Bible. God creates a world. And there is no city in Genesis 1 and 2, but we do get handed one of the keys to understanding the city, which is Genesis 1 Verse 27, where, can anyone fill in the word for me here? So God created mankind in his own image. image. Thank you. Fantastic. So, look, it's not a city, but that's going to be really important because wherever you get the image of God, God, chooses, God says that is valuable. So wherever there's a human being, I see value. That, that means a lot to me. So, wherever you're going to get a high concentration of image of God, 
that's going to matter to God, right? So that's what we, what we learn in those creation chapters of the Bible. London has nine million images of God, therefore. It's a valuable place in God's sight. Second act in the, in the biblical drama is the fall. And um, so much of what was good gets inverted at the fall. So, you know, at creation, you see nine, nine million valuable images of God in London. But after the fall, you also get nine million opportunities for rebellion and horrible sin and, and disgusting behavior of all sorts against God. I think of it a bit like, let me try to explain it. That's my pen. Somewhere in here, I have a magnifying glass. So, if you like, um, in a city, everything is magnified. So the good is magnified. I see, wow, the image of God in people is so much good. And yet, I also see the wickedness magnified because it's more intense. People are cooped up together with less space. So there is more opportunity for wickedness. The, the, the fall is magnified in people, the brokenness in, in people as well. So you get um, city rebels after the fall. Cain, who built the first city out from the Lord's presence, Genesis 4. Or then you get Babylon in Genesis 11. And as people move further east and they're symbolically further and further away from God, so Babylon becomes synonymous for rebellion against him. It's like the rebellion of, of people is magnified when you get them in a city together. City rebels. Then in the fall, you also get city builders and rebuilders. And this is where you've got to um, feel the tension a little bit. Because straight after Cain builds the first city, you get in Genesis 4 mentions of music, creativity, technology, because they're fashioning tools for themselves. And you get industry, agriculture. So cities are breeding not just sin and wickedness, but also ideas and, and um, pro progress. City builders. You get city gates, like in, um, you know, in Ruth chapter 4, when the elders go to the city gate to decide a case of justice. So cities are these places where law is being hammered out and, and good institutions are being built. You get that when people are thrust together in cities. And also you get um, people who build a house for God's name. So, you know... Babylon is the place where people get together and say, hey, let's build this massive building for ourselves and our name. But it's also the, the city is the place where people come together and say, hey, let's build a house for God's name, and it's going to be a good thing. We're going to do that in the city. So you feel the tension? It can be magnified sin, but it can be magnified goodness. So that's the fall, the second act in the drama. Third act, you get redemption. Just think, think for me. I need an answer from you here. When God becomes incarnate in Jesus Christ. He has a great plan to accomplish salvation and he's always heading for a particular place. What's the place? J Jerusalem, right? Somebody said it, I don't know who. So he's heading for the city. He's, he's heading for the place where you can get the greatest evil in the world because they're going to kill the author of life, but he's also going to enact the greatest good in the world because he's going to be Jesus being the perfect human, doing the most loving thing ever. And lo and behold, it happens in a city. Redemption. You also, in hot on Jesus' heels, you get missionaries like Paul, city missionaries, and in Acts, he goes from region to region, and he heads for, guess where? The cities. Because he's strategic. He wants to reach as many people as possible for Christ, so he goes to the urban centers. And then finally, under redemption, you get this sense that we are um, city exiles. And you know those phrases that get littered in the New Testament, like um, 1 Peter chapter 1? We are elect exiles. Or in James chapter 1, it says, you're the people scattered among the nations. So whether we live in the city or the country, whether you live in an eight-bedroom mansion 
or in a tiny bedsit. You should never be truly comfortable, truly at home, this side of heaven. You should never, never be, because you're in exile as a, a Christian, not at home yet. And then the fourth act in the drama is, is consummation. That's like the theological world for the, the great coming together when Jesus comes back. And we're heading for a great city. If you have a Bible, just turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Almost the last page in the whole Bible. Revelation 21. Uh, let me give you just three examples here. So Revelation 21 verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, just one more uh, flick over a chapter. 22 verse 3. Revelation 22 verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and then one more verse, Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the, where? Into the city. I, I had to be selective because there's so many references to the city at the end of the Bible, but you get the idea. We, we are heading for a city. We're going to be urban dwellers for all eternity. On this earth, we expect attention, and, and cities are capable of creativity and goodness, but also depravity and evil. But God has a city in mind for us for the future. Kat. Thank you. Okay, so hopefully we can see that um, although the city can be a difficult place to live, the city also needs Christians. Um, God loves the city because he loves people. And if those people are to hear the good news about this redeemed city, the new Jerusalem, then some of us will need to stay in the city to tell them the gospel. But it's hard, isn't it? Um, so we're going to have a look at three tensions that people often find or reasons why they might find it hard to live in London. So one concern people have about staying in the city is that it's dangerous. Um, so perhaps you want to start a family or you already have a family and you're concerned for their safety. Maybe you're single and you don't want to have to worry about being mugged or burgled or worse. There is more violent crime in the city. So if we look at things purely in terms of comfort and safety in this life, then of course, moving out of the city is the obvious choice. So um, what encouragement is there for us if we feel nervous or scared about the dangers of the city? Well, we're going to have a look at Luke chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles and you're able to turn to it, that would be helpful. But it is going to come up on the screen as well. Um, because wonderfully, Jesus has words of encouragement for us. So let's listen to what he says to his disciples. So it's Luke chapter 12, verse, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
Okay, we'll stop there for now. So we know that Jesus' disciples would go around dangerous places, much more dangerous than London, preaching the gospel. But Jesus tells them not to be afraid. It is scary to think of being mugged or beaten or murdered, but it's worse to think of being thrown into hell to suffer forever. Now here, he, I think, is warning them not to deny Jesus if they're being persecuted, whereas we're more thinking about like the general danger of living in a fallen city. But the point still stands that if we're trusting Jesus, nothing can truly harm us because in Christ we have eternal life. So the worst anyone can do is kill us, and after that they can do no more because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So then, does it not matter what happens to us? Does Jesus just want to use us as cannon fodder for the gospel? Well, did you see, did you hear what he said in verses 6 and 7? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus cares for his people. It doesn't mean that we're invincible, but it does mean we can trust him. Nothing can happen to us that's outside of his control. And that's true if we're living in a city or a village or even in a country run by Islamic militants. And, right, it might be good for us to remember that if we move out of the city, we won't escape danger. There's danger everywhere, whether it be danger from other people or from accidents or illness. And there are also spiritual dangers that we might, be particularly vulnerable to if we're living a comfortable life. So this links back to Jesus' warning in verse 5, to fear him who can throw you into hell. So there's the danger of independence, of thinking that you don't need God. There's the danger of materialism. There's the danger of apathy. There's the danger of thinking that what your children need most is success in education or sport or music. There's the danger of self-righteousness. We all have different struggles and temptations, but it might be that for some of us, um, the Lord is keeping us somewhere that seems physically dangerous, like London, in order to protect us from spiritual dangers that we wouldn't be able to resist. Okay, so this brings me on to another big reason why people move out of the city, and that is lifestyle or standard of living. So that came up earlier about it being expensive. So many people feel or know that they can't afford to stay in the city or they think it's wasteful. <clears throat> they think it's wasteful to spend so much money on rent when they could move out and buy somewhere to live. You certainly get less for your money in London, don't you? Um, in terms of space and standard of living. Um, and I want to say that everyone's situation is different. So the reason my husband Mike and I still live in the city is because the Lord has provided for us and we firmly believe that that is our privilege Um, and we know that there are people who'd like to stay but just just can't however I do think it's worth bringing it up because Jesus did warn us a lot about money and material things and he lived a life of poverty so if we continue to look at Luke 12 there's this amazing bit where he's talking and someone interrupts him to ask him for help to sort out his money problem that he's got. And then Jesus tells the famous parable of the rich fool. And I don't have time to go through that now, but please do read Luke 12 later. Um, But I'm just going to pull out a couple of things Jesus says. So um, he warns the people 
in verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And I think we need to be reminded of that because I think often in our conversations with family and friends about our future plans or our hopes and dreams, we're not always watching out and being on our guard. I think we, we believe the lie that our life does consist in how much stuff we've got. Financial security is something we might long for, but Jesus seems to be saying that there's no such thing. Money doesn't make us secure. And often this desire for security is based on a fear of not having enough, not having what we need. Maybe that's why Jesus tells his disciples in verse 22, not to worry. He points to the ravens and the wildflowers and reminds them that the Lord provides for them. He says in verses 30 and 31 that although pagans run after food and clothing, we can trust our Heavenly Father to provide for us. He tells us to seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to us as well. He's promising to provide for his people. And again, we see his tender care as he calls his disciples his little flock. He cares for them deeply and he cares for us too. And he also promises that investing in the kingdom instead of the world is a wise investment. He doesn't want us to be poor, but he wants us to be rich in the ways that matter. So in verses 33 and 34, he says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we go all in with Jesus... He satisfies us with good things. He gives us joy and freedom. We might not be able to afford nice holidays or expensive schools. Um, we might have to budget really carefully and we might not live in our dream home. But as we store up treasure in heaven, our hearts will be fixed there and we'll never plumb the depths of the joy to be found in the Lord. Okay, so... For the third main reason, um, we thought we would put it over to you. So we're going to think about um, one reason people might leave or might find it hard living in the city is that family and friends live far away. So maybe your friends keep leaving and you just think, oh, let's just pack it in and move out. Um, and you might feel lonely. Um, so... I wonder if with the person next to you, you can have a think about how you could encourage a friend who's feeling discouraged and down about being far away from friends and family in the city. Um, and on the slide, we've got some suggestions of verses which might help, but they are just suggestions. Feel free to use other verses. Um, and also, please don't all use the top one because that's not necessarily the best. Um, so... Yeah, so you're thinking about how could I encourage this person if they're feeling lonely, they're, they're missing their friends and family. Okay, off you go. Is there anyone who's feeling brave and willing to share something that, they, that could encourage us if our friends are leaving? Brilliant, thank you. Yeah, so we're never truly alone because God's always with us. Yeah. I think that's the big message you get throughout the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, so I'll just repeat. Um, 
as we lose people, lots of people lose people, God can be those people to us, can sort of replace them. So he is our father. Jesus is our brother. Um, and he's our dear friend. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, okay. Hopefully you can keep thinking about that. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's good to be thinking, how could I encourage somebody else? And hopefully that will encourage you as well. Um, yeah, so let's try to encourage one another um, as we live in the city for the gospel. It's always a lot easier to whinge and moan, isn't it? But, um, yeah, that's not very helpful. So um, <laughs> I, I've written down some things that people have said to me over the years, or they might have said them about me. Um, and we've come up with some alternative things to say that could be more encouraging. So... Um, if you're ever tempted to say the things that I read out, maybe you could try to say something more like what Pete's going to say. So, instead of saying, this is not a good place to bring up children, why not say? I wonder what God's got in store for your children. Okay, instead of, you've got nowhere to put anything, how do you cope? Why not say? What a creative use of space. <laughs> Instead of, your children will end up in a gang, why not say... What's the Lord teaching your family at the moment? And instead of, why haven't you moved out and bought somewhere to live? Why not say... What do you like most about living in the city and how can I pray for you? Brilliant. On the handout, I know it's a bit awkward having a link printed out, but... There's a brilliant talk called It Takes a City to Raise a Child by Tim, Tim Keller. And Mike and I listened to that when I think our eldest was just a baby. And I remember thinking, oh, I really hope this is true because it's all about how the city is a really good place to bring up children. And then we've listened to it several times over the years. And each time I think, yeah, this is actually more true than I ever thought it would be. Um, yeah, so um, do, do have a listen to that. It's really worth it. Um, just especially if you're parents. Or, but if you're not, it still is because the kids in your church will be looking up to you if you're not a parent and you know, they'll want to be like you. So, um, yeah, thank you. That's really true. George, were you going to say something? That's a really important thing about being church family in the city is realising that you actually need to be church family because lots of people's families are far away. Um, so I totally agree. Like my church is the reason I live in the city, but it's also the reason I'm able to live in the city. Definitely, yeah. Thank you. Mm. Any any questions? I like the just the contributions. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great reason to leave the city, <laughs> to go and start a church. Yeah. Please go to the north of England and start some churches. Yeah, totally. And. Um, as Pete said at the beginning of his bit, um, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us that we have to live in the city. And it's fantastic if people leave to, to reach other people with the gospel. Yeah. yeah. There's a book by Stephen Whitmer, which um, I forget the title. It's something about do that, you know, go have a heart for the country town, go somewhere small, preach the gospel. I suppose I would say, um, who are you? What, what have you got in the bank already? Because if, if, we, if we move out of the city, you start again. Like you you raise your relationships to zero and you have to start all over again. So no, people I've spoken to in London say, I, I kind of want to do that, but I've just got a lot in the bank in London. I've got relationships, I've got people who know me, know my family, I'm embedded here. So I'm, 
and stay here. And I think maybe you get to a point in life where you think, well, this is me. And certainly I look around this weekend and I think, I'm part of this, and so I'm staying here to invest in this. And not everyone's going to do that, but I think there's something to be said for thinking, I'm going to stick rather than twist. Um, yes, the question is, how, how do you deal with it if you and your spouse might disagree about urban or rural living? Um, show them the scriptures. Show them the scriptures. <laughs> Tell them there's going to be ascension. Um, what do we do with it? Um, we, we talk about it a lot. Communication is always the method, isn't it, in any problem, basically. Um, I assume that I'm going to have to lay down my life in innumerable ways, so this might be one of them. I lay down my country life to serve my wife. Um, I get excited for the opportunities in the city. Um, I dwell on the things that we could do here. And I guess we go from there. Um, yeah. We don't, we don't rule out something the Bible doesn't rule out, but we, we get excited about what God is doing here. Certainly when we moved to Haringey, we, we, the Lord just opened a door and we thought, wow, we could go there and we could serve the Lord there. We're both in this together. Let's go. So. Yeah. What would you say? yeah, and I think it's good to know yourself. So if you know that actually you just mm. love being in the outdoors, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to move like to the countryside, but just realizing like actually if we're having a holiday, I should go somewhere where right. I'm going to feel refreshed and, you know, I should go camping or whatever it is that, um, you know, refreshes your soul. Um, and that it's okay to, I mean, we have lots of people in our church that, on World's End that just love being like in the countryside. Um, and that's okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's helpful, but oh, lots of I think that's brilliantly helpful. Yeah, up. God gave us holidays. So if you hanker for the countryside, make sure you get there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always found the home groups really valuable because wherever you get a geographical cluster, there, there exists more possibility. So I think I'd make the most of that. Um, decide who you can reasonably keep in touch with and do it. But then the city needs the network churches as well as the neighborhood churches. So I'm really passionate about that. You need the Christchurch Mayfairs and the churches that converge on the tube lines. So if that's your decision and you think, we can commit to this, that like we can stick in here, then you are serving the city. And that's, I guess that's your vision. And you think we're going to bear the cost of the tube journeys and the driving and the cycling, whatever it might be, because this is our ministry. And sacrificial ministry tends to grow disciples because it costs you something, but you're all in. So I think if, you, if you're saying that's, that's us, then... Oh, I, I just think we really need people who are, like, who are older in churches, because um, there aren't many. There actually aren't many. And lots of people, like you say, move out. And we would love to have people of that age group in our church um, who can support the younger people um you know people who can give wisdom about things that they've lived through and um i just think that it that is an issue generally in churches that people sort of retirement age kind of disappear like they go off half the year and and maybe they don't feel they're needed but that's just not true like they can have students around for dinner they can look after the young moms and there's so many things they can do um because they've got i guess like you're saying, your, your kids have grown up and you've got more time. And we would absolutely love some people of that age in our church. Um, so, yeah, I just think you're, you're so valuable to your church family. Um, and because lots of people that age leave, all the more reason to stay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally echo that. In fact, if we're going to wrestle over Claire coming to our church, then I'll yeah. join. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's 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 such a valuable ministry, and we we are. Um, I've been praying and praying for for more of the older generation at St Paul's who are godly and love the Lord and, and willing to muck in and be part of it. Who've caught the vision. So wherever you go, I think you'll be a blessing. If you can stay in the city, I think you'll be a blessing, and you'll buck the trend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think every, every family is different, aren't they? So my, my parents don't think that we're living in a good place to bring up children, but they, they wouldn't interfere enough to, to say... They, they'd like us to leave, but... Um, and actually, what's difficult for my family, which might be quite common, is that their friends, my parents, their friends all their kids live near them. Because I'm from a town where people don't really leave. So, um, although I think it's normal, because I live in London, to be away from your parents, they don't think it's normal. But um, they know why we're doing it. And so I hope that it's a good witness to them. But it is a sacrifice that they haven't chosen to make. Um, yeah, that's... So I haven't really had to navigate it very much. Um other than it being a bit awkward, which, <laughs> what, what about you? Um, I get subtle hints from one of my parents, you know, when, it, when you're going to become the vicar of a, an attractive church in, in, a, in a nice village. Um, that's, I, it's not really like taking hits for Jesus, that, but it, you know, it's just drip, drip, drip. But um, I think I take it as an opportunity, like that's an opportunity for me and Sarah to clarify, why are we here again? Because you know, we too feel the pull of that, but that's, that feels worldly, so I don't want that, but let's clarify the vision. Um, and it's a chance to you know, evangelize my dad because I can, I can talk to him about, well, actually, I want to I be where the people are. I want to be in the hard places. I, wanna, I really want my life to be about Jesus. That might make him think. <laughs> so I, I try and see that as an opportunity, even though it's, it, it's hard. Mm. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we pray to you, and we know our lives are in your hands, so we, we're just conscious of that as we think ahead. None of us knows what next year brings, what tomorrow will bring. We don't want to be arrogant and boastful and think we've got it all cracked and we've nailed the plan for our life. But we pray to you, Father, and we pray that for, for many of us, you would give us the resources and the vision to stay in the city. And we long for that London that we talked about at the beginning. We long for maybe the year 2050 to have a, 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 a city stuffed full of churches and congregations that love Christ and are drawing people in and are living their lives for Jesus in the great city. So um, if it's your will, Father, and if you could use us, then please use us and, and help us just to stay where we are. And we ask it in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this talk. If you have, Kat's also written a helpful four-part series entitled Living Urban for Jesus. You can find that series at the link in the show notes. See you next time.